Welcome to the TCO Method, the only show focused on helping you massively increase your net operating income. I am Andy McQuaid, and thank you so much for tuning in to this Tuesday edition of the show. It is June 27th, 2023. I'm very late in getting this started. It's 1130, but I have a weird episode. I'm not going to continue the conversation from last time about due diligence. We'll probably do that on Thursday. Today, I've got four emails I got from listeners, or at least three of the four are apparently listeners, and I wanted to just go through the questions. So I guess the first the first one is kind of amusing because he actually did what I told him to do, which was if he thinks I'm a moron to email me, so he emailed me. But Bob in Miami, you're a moron. Deferred maintenance is a part of the business, and you just need to deal with it. Well, Bob, no, I don't, quite frankly. You're allowed to think I'm a moron and that it's part of the business, but the entire point of the TCO method is to make sure that people are minimizing their long-term outlay for maintenance costs, and deferred maintenance creates CapEx projects, and CapEx projects... While they're not included in your net operating income, they do impact the amount of money you get to keep as an owner. Now, if you're not keeping the property and you don't care, then deferred maintenance can help you spike your NOI to get more value from the building if it's a commercial property. That being said, it's not a good practice for buy and hold because all you're doing is increasing the amount of cost that's going to be involved in correcting whatever issue you're ignoring. That is the definition. And again, I will reiterate, deferred maintenance includes not updating your units for 20 years or more. So to the guy who told me they don't defer maintenance because they put on new roofs, like if you're not replacing the roof when it's leaking, you're probably creating more issues than you know beyond just deferred maintenance. If your units look like they're coming out of the mid-90s or the 80s or the 70s, that's the definition also of deferred maintenance. Refreshes need to happen every once in a while, not just to keep up with market rate, and curb appeal, but stuff just gets old and worn. But if you're still rocking the same cabinets from the 70s, anyway. All right, so am I a maintenance Nazi? Yes. Any other questions? All right, that doesn't make me a moron. It just means that I have a difference of opinion because my job is to minimize long-term costs. So, yeah. Moving on. Not going to spend a lot of time on that one. Jerry in Nashville, I am offended that you want me to fire my CPA just because he doesn't like cost segregation. Like, really? This is what I get for emails? Seriously? You don't really have to fire your CPA, but they do need to listen to you when you say, I want to do cost seg. Here's the study. And you hand it to them. They shouldn't push back on you because... There's so many benefits to it, especially if you're playing the long game. It's, it's literally a free loan 
Like if you're going to flip it and you're going to sell it in a year, maybe it doesn't make sense for you because it's a lot of paperwork and hassle to, you know, pay the money back and whatever. There are some benefits when it was 100% depreciation, bonus depreciation, which may come back. But for now, if it was 100% bonus depreciation, you were able to actually get more than you had to pay back. And that could return. I don't know. It just depends on what your total holding plan is for the properties that you're owning, investing in, managing, whatever. I always think that a 0% loan is a good idea because that means you can actually make money off someone else's money without having to pay them anything extra. Like it's kind of a no-brainer. I don't really understand why this is so difficult. A little bit of paperwork in exchange for a 0% loan, if it's like if it's a few grand, then no, it doesn't make sense. But if you're paying for a cost seg study, it's probably not a few grand, right? It's not really worth doing a cost seg unless the building's worth like a half a million bucks or more. Right? It's just like a tax assessment challenge. You're not going to find a guy out there who's good at tax assessment challenges that wants to touch properties worth less than maybe three hundred and fifty or four hundred thousand upwards of, you know, multiple millions. There's no cap to those. The argument becomes where is the the line? And that depends on your specific financial position, your team members, your risk profile. All that stuff has to go into every one of these decisions. That's why I keep saying it's important for you to know your numbers, understand your numbers, understand the process, understand your business. You don't have to be the best at your business. You have team members that you bring on board, again, whether they're W-2s or whether they're 1099s that are on your team looking out for your best interest. You partner with people who are better at certain things than you are so that you can focus on what you're good at. Don't focus on putting band-aids on your weaknesses. Focus on improving upon your strengths and leveraging those to scale. That sounded really good. I should release that as a YouTube short. I think I will. Anyway, you need to make sure that whatever you're doing, whatever you're involved in, you are making decisions with your attorney, with your CPA, with your spouse, with your dog, like anybody who's involved in this, you need to be looking at your specific situation and you as the investor, owner, decision maker, driver, whatever, whatever you want to call yourself, you need to be able to trust but verify. It doesn't mean you need to be the best at everything. It means you need to understand the core fundamental level of the business enough to look at the numbers and judge good or bad. That's it. You shouldn't be trying to do everything yourself. Partially because you won't have enough time to do what you need to do to scale. You'll be working in your business and not on your business. The other part of that is you're never going to get the same results as somebody who does that particular function full-time. Even if they're not great at it, they're still going to be better than you part-timing it and only knowing and understanding half the business. That's just life. The other thing is trying to do everything yourself is by definition part of the scarcity mindset. If you've read any of the mindset books that have come out in the last 10 years, 
about what is your time worth and having the right attitude and the right plan and visualization and everything else. Doing everything yourself is in of itself a scarcity mindset trait. Like it's one thing to do something as a hobby because you enjoy it, because it gives you time to think and and come up with plans and center yourself and whatever. It's a whole nother thing to do it because you don't want to spend the money to bring in a professional. Like when you're bootstrapping and you're getting things started and you're working for free, slightly different story than when you've been doing something for four or five years and you're established and you have income and cash flow and things are going okay and you're still doing everything yourself. That's a problem. Anyway, don't really fire your CPA unless they're ignorant and need to be fired. If they fight you on something as dumb as cost segregation and you're playing it for the, the midterm game, anything over five to seven years, shy of 15, they're probably not helping you and you need to start analyzing and talking to other providers to find out what is happening as far as how you can use your money smarter to scale. Everybody's always looking for extra income so they can invest it, or at least they should be. So to turn down a 0% loan for X number of years, as long as you're going to hold that property, seems completely stupid to me. And it's a little bit more paperwork for your CPA, but if you're going to quibble over $1,000 extra in your tax return bill, when you're talking about hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in property, I don't really think you should be listening to this show. A lot of what I do involves spend to save. So if you're going to step over dollars to pick up pennies, you really need to go somewhere else. Like listen to those HDTV people or Grant Cardone or somebody like that's This is not the program for you. I'm done talking about Jerry because Jerry, I don't know, Jerry. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know how to help you. This also goes into, and he didn't say this. I'm just going to make a wild assumption. It's probably completely wrong. This goes into that same conversation about hiring your cousin Ted, who's a part-time realtor or specializes in doing residential sales to homeowners to help you with your investment properties or your commercial real estate. They're literally apples and oranges. They don't have the same network of free people. They don't have the same resources. Don't use them. You can't go to a realtor that doesn't deal with investment properties all the time and expect it to go well or to actually get what you need to get out of their services. It's just, it's a completely different clientele, completely different network, completely different set of service providers. They, they don't, it's oil and water. They don't mix well. Some of them can do both, but the vast majority are not equipped to do so, and they don't understand the business, they don't understand the priorities, and they're just, they're just not good enough. And it's the same with CPAs that don't play in investment real estate. It's the same with uh, brokers that don't do commercial. It's the same with uh, subcontractors that come in to do work and they don't do investment properties. They do Joe homeowner at a 50 or 60% margin. It's not going to serve your business in the right way. You 
don't agree with that, again, probably not the show for you. You need to go somewhere else. All right. I sound angry today. Am I angry? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Sam and Bethesda. Why don't you like LED lighting? I do like LED lighting. It has to be the right type of LED lighting for the application. I am not a supporter or fan of LED integrated panels or LED integrated fixtures because they create a huge amount of waste. They can't be repaired or serviced. When they die, they just die. And you're creating a CapEx project where there was no CapEx project before. For two reasons. One, and this is specific to multifamily real estate or residential rentals, okay? This is, this is top-down, 10,000 feet. I'm going to keep this as stupidly simple as possible. None of the technical stuff from the LED episode, all right? From a curb appeal standpoint, you're going to have integrated fixtures that start failing at different times than other ones. Works just like light bulbs, okay? Doesn't matter if it's an LED or CFL or whatever. CFLs are a whole different conversation. Don't use them. Use LEDs everywhere. Incandescence, if you're still using incandescence, again, this is probably not the show for you because it's 2023. Stop buying incandescent light bulbs, okay? Just stop. I don't care if you pay the electric bill or not. Don't do it. Be done. Anyway. LEDs die at different rates depending on how many times they're turned on and off in a day and how long they run for. There's other things that go into it that we talked about in that program as far as damp rated, closed fixture rated, blah, 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 for the actual bulbs. Integrated fixtures are also damp rated, right? They, they have some that are dry only, some that are damp, some that are wet location rated to be outside. Problem is that when they die, they die and you're throwing it in the garbage. If you go to any of these manufacturers' websites that are in any of these showrooms, I don't care who it is, you're going to find probably one out of every 20 or 30 fixtures has parts that you can buy to repair that fixture after it's been installed and starts to fail. 95% of the time, it's the driver, actually probably 99% of the time, it's the driver pack that makes the LEDs light up. It's what takes the 120 volts out of the wall, steps it down to 12, cleans it and puts it into, as a DC, right, 12 volt DC, and puts it into the LED bulb itself, which is like a, a little diode, right, light emitting diode, that's what it is. So you've got these fixtures that start dying. Let's say that you have them in the hallway and in the bedrooms, maybe in the kitchen, but let's say hallway and bedrooms, and they all look the same. When they die, if it's been longer than a year or two, you're probably not going to be able to find that exact unit anymore. Because these LED integrated fixtures are being produced by companies looking to keep up with trends, design trends, and 
when something starts to slow down in the sales volume that they track, they will move to something that doesn't slow down. So the average lifespan of a, of a light fixture from the 80s until the early 2000s, before these LED integrated things started coming out, they weren't great. They were kind of ugly. But they took bulbs. And you could get those fixtures or a similar fixture to last for 15 or 20 years before it started to look bad enough where you wanted to replace it. And when you did need to replace it, if you just wanted it to be cleaner or change colors or whatever, they're like 10 or 15 bucks. No big deal. And then you just put light bulbs in. Whatever kind. Incandescent, TFL, LED, whatever's popular, whatever's cheap, you just put it in and you're done. Now it's a different game. Because you're going to have three or four of these fixtures in this apartment, or in this hotel, or in this house, whatever. And now one's going to die after three years. You can't replace it with one that matches, so you're going to put something in there, and now you've lost your curb appeal. So the tenant moves out after year four, and now you have a choice. Do you replace the other three with the one that matches? if they even still make that one? Or do you do a completely new revamp? So you're spending money you didn't have to spend because you have to change these stupid fixtures. The, the other downside of it is you're increasing your maintenance costs because when one dies, you're going from a light bulb that you're not responsible for as a, as a landlord or a property manager to an entire fixture that you got to put somebody in there to wire into the ceiling. How does that make sense? How is that a good business decision? Like, I don't understand. Like, I don't not like LEDs. I have LEDs throughout my entire house. My entire office is LEDs. Every room in my house, my garage, all my closets, everything's an LED. They're all bulbs. I don't understand why people have an issue with this whole integrated panel thing unless they're selling those panels. Like, if you have a vested interest in integrated panels and integrated fixtures and you're going to argue with me because you're selling those well yeah you your financial well-being is partially based off of selling a product that dies in three to five years and then you need to sell another product and i'm sorry i don't care what integrated fixture it is it's always 100 percent going to cost more than changing a light bulb not just because the product's more expensive by 10 to 20 times, but because the labor is going to crush you. And you're creating a capital expenditure where none existed before. Because if you're going for curb appeal, you're going for matching fixtures, the reality of the production of these units, the reality of modern manufacturing retail for household goods or, you know, pretty fixtures like faucets and lighting is they're going to mass produce what's popular. And then as things get less popular, if they even still produce them, they're going to be massively more expensive than they used to be. If you can get them at all. TCO method is total cost of ownership. My job is literally to help people not spend money frivolously. I'm not saying don't spend money because that's the, that's deferred maintenance. Okay, but you have to be intelligent with how you make your decisions. I don't not like LEDs. I don't like LED panels. 
in commercial spaces, it's a different beast because most of the commercial manufacturers that do, you know, two by four and two by two trough for lighting, that's an integrated panel, have gotten to the point where you can buy a driver pack to replace it. Backlit mirrors, same thing. Like you can buy a crappy backlit mirror off the shelf at Home Depot for a couple hundred bucks, or you can spend a thousand dollars and get one that can be fixed. Who's going to spend a thousand dollars? Well, hopefully the operator that's going to be responsible for maintaining that property for any period of time. I don't see backlit mirrors going the way of the dodo anytime soon. So if you're going to spend the money on a backlit mirror and you're going to have it throughout your apartments, you better be sure that your model is going to match what's in your unit. Because I've already seen the styles at Home Depot and Lowe's change about 12 times in the last five years. And they're all Chinese junk. But if you buy it from a company that specializes in backlit mirrors, that makes serviceable ones that are intended for hotels and and high-end luxury homes and, and high-end apartments and stuff like that, it's a safe bet that instead of putting another two or $300 mirror in in three or four years, you're going to be able to just buy a $50 driver pack and drop it in, in place, and voila, it works again. Because those little LED bulbs that give you the light, those light-emitting diodes, don't die. Anyway, so now I've been called a moron. I've offended someone for telling them to fire their CPA. Uh, apparently I don't like LED lighting, which is not accurate at all. I love LED lighting. It saves a ton of money. They last longer than an incandescent does. They're safer than CFLs because of all the mercury halide vapors and all the other crap that go into CFLs. And honestly, usually putting three bulbs into a fixture gives you more lumens and uses less electricity than the integrated panels do because they're super inefficient because again, they're Chinese junk that doesn't operate as efficiently as a well-designed light bulb. I don't know how else to explain it, people. LED, good stuff, cheaper to run. If you're using bulbs, they're cheaper to maintain. You can buy fixtures that take bulbs that don't change in style, that you can get matching colors for, for five or 10 years. It's long enough to get you from one rehab to another rehab for the useful life of the rest of the stuff in that apartment. You're not now spending money to put people into apartment units to change entire fixtures to replace bulbs. You're not creating an extra capital expenditure every five or ten years to... Because if you're doing curb appeal play and you want to stay at market rate, you're going to raise your rents every, every year along with inflation and then every seven to ten years do a complete rehab and bring it up to, to current market curb appeal standards and current market rent, then you're gonna want to stretch that out and use products that are gonna make it. You're not gonna want to have to get to year four or year five and do a capex to replace every single light fixture in that property just because they start failing. Like that's the opposite of NOI improvement. I, I, I don't understand why this is controversial unless you have skin in the game and you're making your money off selling LED lighting. Okay. Tim and SoCal, how do you record and release podcasts on the same day? Well, Tim, 
Um, has nothing to do with the TCO method, but I appreciate the question. Uh, I don't have a lot of post-processing work that needs to be done because it's just me. Um, I haven't done any guest interviews or anything yet. And I'm sort of a tech junkie as a hobbyist, so I have a pretty powerful computer system and a really good webcam. Um, it's not a SLR or mirrorless SLR, any of that stuff for my camera. It's just a, a really high-end, really good glass lens that I have complete control over. Um, I use a Shure SM7B through a cloud lifter to a Scarlett 2i2 digital audio or analog to digital interface into the computer. Um, I record everything through OBS because I do this on YouTube as well. And OBS has the ability to add all of the filters that would be done in post-production into pre-production. So the amount of time I have to spend on cleaning up the audio on an episode is basically zero. I literally stop recording, drop it into a program that uh, I clean the audio up with, with two clicks. And then I drop it into Adobe Premiere and add the remixed audio into the Premiere video and render it. I do a little bit of editing when I get lost on tangents, but it's usually, you know, five or 10 minutes. It's not terrible. So like I started recording this a little after 11, it'll probably be live before one o'clock because it takes me about 15 minutes maybe to do all the editing at the most. Am I doing it myself? Yes. Is it a good use of my time? I have no idea. Maybe. Um, but it's a really easy show because it's just me. Right? There's no moving parts. I know my hardware. I know my equipment. I have the software to do what I need to do with it. And I know how to use it. So for me, it's a, a very low lift. And it's sort of a hobby. So I don't really mind doing it. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. There's a bunch of podcast people harassing me now to take over my production and operations and all that, and I'm not entirely sure if I'm interested, but I'll listen to anybody. Never hurts to have people on your team regardless, or have resources, so I'm a big networking guy. And this week is also the LinkedIn 10-day CRE challenge, so Monday through Friday, everybody, there's a, probably 150 people that are going to be posting real estate related stuff on LinkedIn. Some of them are shamelessly uh, promoting their, themselves and their businesses. Others are teaching and sharing information and sharing knowledge. So if you're not on LinkedIn or you're not active on LinkedIn, I suggest you get there and start being active on the real estate side of things if that's your interest. Um, Twitter, same thing. Retweet is a big deal. I suck at all social media, honestly, because I just don't have the focus to maintain my attention, which is why I'm doing this 10 day challenge, because it's forcing me to go and post every day and build that habit again and add a little value to people while I'm doing it. So I'll see you there. I want to thank you for listening to the program. I think I'm done talking about how I record my podcasts. So Tim, I hope that answers your question. 
I do everything on the front side so I don't have to do it later on the back side. I run a ton of filters on the SM7B to make sure the sound is clean for people out in the audience. And uh, I boost it to whatever level Apple says they need boosted to and clean the audio up a little bit and call it a day. So please like, subscribe, check out YouTube, check out the websites, send me an email if you don't like what I said. Bob, Sam, and Jerry. And uh, let me know why. Like Again, I'm happy to debate people. I'm happy to have conversations. Uh, if you want to call me a moron, sweet. Podcast at tcomethod.com. But hit my website, andymcquade.com. Hit the TCO Method website, which is still not up, but will be uh, hopefully by Friday of this week. Have a great couple of days. I'll be back on Thursday to close out the week. And please spread the word. Let people know the podcast exists and that it doesn't suck out loud. I appreciate you listening. Have a great rest of your day.